0: Okay. welcome everyone. Um, I'm Alex, the associate pastor here. We've got a few couple quick announcements. If you're new, welcome. We love to see you. Um, this QR code right here for everyone. If you scan that, you can kind of follow along what's happening, what I'm talking about RSVP. But if you're new, you can fill out a little welcome card for us. We can get to know you, see what you need, see how we can be of service to you. Our first announcement is our next book club is happening this Thursday, and we are studying who will be a witness, igniting activism for God's justice, love, and deliverance. That's by Drew G.I. Hart. This is an amazing book. It's all about how the church has unfortunately tangled itself up with white supremacy, racism, all of that not good stuff and this book is a very very intense book about how we as Christians can do something about it so we'd love to see you for that book club on Zoom next up we have a good Friday service coming up this is very very exciting i'm very excited about this it says 31522 that's not correct and that's my mistake Because that's already happened so this is april 15th of 2022. this is a service for us to really reflect on the cross the death of jesus a lot of times we rush to easter we rush to the resurrection and we don't sit with the pain of what actually happened to christ this will be a very different service in that way so we really hope to see you there it's actually one of my favorite services we do. Lastly, we have a very exciting new thing that we're trying out that we hope you all come to. We're gonna see how it goes. If you like it, we'll do more, but we are organizing a little nature gathering that's gonna be Saturday, April 23rd. That's the Saturday after Easter and we're doing this at Lake Calavera. So. Basically, you're gonna have some time in nature. You're gonna do some spiritual practices You'll have some solo time. You're just gonna connect with each other with God and with the earth So that is for all skill levels, by the way, no matter what your skill level is hiking We can most likely accommodate you. So join us for that and lastly as always, we are a nonprofit 501c3. We rely on the gifts and donations of people like you. We have little boxes in the back. You can go online or you can scan that QR code. So, thank you for listening to the announcements, and we'll have the sermon now.
1: Uh, For those of you who don't know, like I said, my name is Jason Coker. I'm the pastor here. Good to see you. Uh, We are on the road to Easter, as no doubt you noticed by the songs that we sang together this morning. And I just want to stop and pause and point out that when I told you that our extremely long three-month series on wisdom was over last week, I might have been slightly untruthful. We are going to continue to press into the topic of wisdom, specifically how Jesus lives out the kind of wisdom we've been talking about for the past three months. And for me, this is really where the rubber meets the road, because I don't know about you, but at some point I decided that I'm a Christian. That's a difficult choice to make these days sometimes, uh, because being a Christian is often associated with a wide variety of beliefs and behaviors that, frankly, aren't good. And so I know, like a lot of you, there was a time in my life when I really wrestled with whether or not I wanted to be a Christian. And I tinkered around with calling myself other things, like a follower of Jesus or you know, a spiritual but not religious person, or like it's a relationship, not a religion, you know, all these sort of slogans that help us to kind of distance ourselves from the worst part of religion. But perhaps like some of you at some point, I decided, no, it's okay for me to be a Christian. This is a little hot, Finn. Can we get that turned down just a little bit? Thank you. and I came to that conclusion because I realized that whatever problems I had with religion or the church or faith or all the sort of toxic things that can be associated with that, despite all of that, I was still deeply compelled by Jesus. And no matter how hard I tried, I, I couldn't get away from Jesus. Jesus. Uh, And that no matter how much I read in here, even at times when Jesus seems annoying or difficult or cranky or hangry, uh, I still was deeply compelled by this person. And so at some point, I realized that Christian was the best word for me because I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, And if you haven't come to that conclusion, that's okay. Uh, But I say that because having spent three months in Proverbs and Job and Solomon, And having sort of plumbed the dark depths of some of those books, I want to just point out that we are not followers of Proverbs or Job or Solomon. For those of us who consider ourselves Christians, we are not followers of Moses or Paul or John or Peter. We are followers of Jesus. And so the question for me can't end with, what does the Hebrew Bible say about wisdom? As good as it is, as compelling as it is, the question really has to end with what kind of Jesus or what kind of wisdom does Jesus embody? How does Jesus address these bigger questions? And so that's where we'll go for the next couple of weeks. And it should come as no surprise to you that the ultimate wisdom revealed in Jesus reveals itself on the cross and at the resurrection And so our series on wisdom will actually end on Easter, and I hope that you'll join us for that. That's where we're going. Bear with me. I have a little bit more to say about wisdom. Let's stop for a moment and just pray together. Would you do that? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to come together uh, to sing and to pray and to worship, to open our hearts and our minds to be impacted and changed and shaped by you. We ask that you would show us something good in these words today that we read from the teachings of Jesus. We ask that you would inspire us in a fresh way. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I have been saying, of course, we've been on this journey of wisdom from Proverbs to Job to Solomon. We've wrestled with all kinds of difficult questions, and I have said that wisdom could be seen as a kind of process of education, that Proverbs represented sort of wisdom 101, that is the basics of wisdom, that Job represented wisdom 201, sort of intermediate wisdom, and that Solomon represented wisdom 301, sort of advanced, more complicated, more difficult questions about wisdom. Well, if you have been to any kind of Institute of Education, you know that there's a 401, Now, when you get to 400 level classes, that really concerns itself with the application of what you've been learning. It's usually in 400 level classes that they ask you to do projects in the community and report back about how all of that worked. And that is, I think, how we can see Jesus's life, the application of wisdom in his world. I want to read this to you and ask that you bear in mind some of what we have been talking about wisdom. What if Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount is partly, at least, his answer to the questions, what does it mean to live a good life? What's the purpose of life if life doesn't always seem to be good? This, I think, perhaps could be taken as an answer to that question. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For anyone who asks, receive, and everyone who searches, finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give them a stone? Or if a child asks for a fish, will give them a snake? If you then, who are evil, that's rude, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here, right from the beginning, I want to suggest that Jesus borrows from Solomon. He says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open." In other words, in the face of circumstances, of difficulty and suffering and frustration, like Solomon, Jesus says, press in. Don't give up searching. Be annoyingly difficult at the door as you knock and knock and continue to knock, even if you don't hear an answer, continue to pound on the door until something comes along. Life is hard. Sometimes it requires us to press in for something good. And like Solomon, Jesus seems to insinuate that there is a better season coming. Now might be the time of suffering and difficulty and frustration. But if you continue to press in, then like Solomon, you may find a better season around the corner press in and don't give up. But Jesus doesn't end there. He also borrows this amazing picture that I think is reminiscent of Job. Is there anyone, verse nine, among you who, if your child asks for a bread, will give them a stone, or if a child asks for a fish, will give them a snake. Job's perspective, if you remember, is the bigger picture. I know that right now this seems terrible. I know that right now you're not getting what you want, but consider what it's like for children who aren't getting what they want. This too shall pass. Or perhaps you don't understand the bigger picture. Perhaps you don't understand what you really need. Perhaps you don't understand What's genuinely good for you. I know that's a patronizing perspective. But consider this. If, if you were ever a child, anybody here ever a child, <laughs> do you remember when your parents would say the same annoying thing to you over and over again when you asked for something and it just infuriated you because you didn't like the answer? But later in life, as you grew up, you realized, I'm really glad they answered me that way. I'm really glad that they responded the way they did, because even though it was terrible at the time, even though I didn't get what I wanted at the time, even though it was hard at the time, I see the wisdom in it now. That's the perspective of age and maturity. I was recently traveling. I had a good, the amazing opportunity to travel to Washington, D.C. with a local nonprofit and advocate for policy changes at the U.S. Capitol and also am incredibly fortunate to be able to do those things with my middle daughter, Judah. Some of you know Judah. She is a professional community organizer and she helps organize this church uh, and she helps to assist uh, Jen and Chelsea in organizing our Justice Works team. And so I had the opportunity to travel with Judah to D.C. for one of those trips. And on the way back, uh, we're in the airport in D.C., and one of the other staffers from the San Diego Organizing Project, her name's Selma, Selma came up to me and she said, Uh, Reverend Coker, I wanted to ask if we could talk a little bit about fundraising because we want to fundraise for the organization. And Judas said you might have some thoughts about that. It's true, I have thoughts about fundraising. I, you know, in a very deep, dark, you know, part part of my life, I was a professional fundraiser for four years. It was terrible. (laughs) I don't recommend that career to anybody. But I did do it, and I have thoughts about fundraising. In fact, like most thoughts, my thoughts are. um, strong. My opinions are strong. And I tend to articulate those opinions in a strong way. So I got to chat with Selma, and I got a little excited about some of my, you know, opinions about fundraising. And then we got sort of separated by the line, and I was walking with Judah again, and Judah said, yeah, I kind of warned Selma before you guys talked that, um, you know, my dad doesn't coddle. I said, what? (laughs) She said, well, you know, you don't coddle. I said, "What does that mean?" I was so offended. What are you talking? What do you mean? I don't coddle? She said, "Well, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, you know, if I hurt myself or you know, I, my feelings were hurt, you know, you, your first impulse wasn't necessarily to comfort me." I thought about that, <laughs> and I realized I'm definitely one of those like rub some dirt on it dads. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, you know, your kid falls and scrapes their knee and they come crying to you and you're like, will rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. You know, or walk it off. Whoever heard just walk it off, walk it off, you'll be okay. I'm definitely a rub some dirt on it, walk it off kind of dad. And of course, that's not always good. I mean, there are times when, you know, if your kid is limping around on a broken leg, maybe walking it off is not the right solution. There are times when hurt feelings need to be acknowledged and affirmed, and I probably wasn't the dad for that. Sometimes I was a good dad, sometimes I was a bad dad, sometimes I was a mediocre dad, just like the rest of the dads in the world. But Judah, either out of sincerity or just a desire to suddenly make me feel better said, I'm really glad you were like that with me because I am able to deal with conflict now. I am able to comfort myself when I'm struggling. And that really is the perspective that Jesus is trying to impart here. He's not saying that all trauma is good for you. He's not saying that every single thing that happens to you that's terrible, that's involves suffering, that involves oppression, that involves genuine hardship, is somehow God's good will for your life. He's just trying to get us to connect with this bigger picture that we don't always see what's behind the curtain. That We don't always understand the bigger plan, the bigger purpose. And so that is true for us in life as well. And of course, Jesus is trying to say something I think even more fundamental than just see the bigger picture. Jesus also borrows from the perspective of Proverbs. When Jesus says, who among you, if your child asks you for bread, would give them a stone, And if you can treat your children well, if you can be good to your children, as screwed up and messed up and traumatized and broken as you are, how much more is that true of God? Jesus is entering into this discussion about God. Proverbs and Job and Solomon, as I've told you, ad nauseum is a part of this ancient Hebrew tradition of dialogue and discourse and debate about who God is and what God is all about. Jesus enters the chat. And he makes the astonishingly bold claim that God is good. God is good. Despite your pain, despite your suffering, despite your trauma, despite the real oppression that you might have experienced in your life, despite the injustices of the world around you, Jesus says, God is good. God has good gifts for you. In fact, God is so good that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 45, Jesus says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say, love your enemies. Why? Because God causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Get this, the very same argument that Job and Solomon used to indict God's good character, Jesus takes as evidence that God is good. Job says, how is God good or fair? No matter what happens in the world, bad people have good things happen to them. Jesus says, right. No matter what happens in the world, no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, you get sunshine, you get rain, crops grow, People somehow love each other. This is evidence that there is a deep goodness present in the world. Therefore, love your enemies just as God does. John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment and you know the rest. One of you knows. (laughs) this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you what's the greatest commandment love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and all your mind matthew 22 verse 37 and love your neighbor as yourself jesus is so committed to this idea that god is good that the goodness of God becomes the root, becomes the impetus, becomes the rationale for the only sane response that we have in a world of injustice and that is to live in love. In a world of injustice and oppression and suffering and uncertainty Jesus says, respond by loving. Live in love. The only way to do that, the only conceivable rationale for loving each other in spite of the horrific ways that we often treat each other, The only reason why we might respond to the injustices of life with love, not just for our friends, but even for our enemies, is if this is true, that God is good. That's it. The question is, and this is an important question, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is good? I could put it another way, because some of you are really hung up on the inherent theism of that statement. What if it's possible that Jesus is teaching that when we talk about God, what we're really talking about is that there is a goodness, a righteousness, A love that does not depend on you. That there is something beyond me, beyond my suffering, beyond my failing, beyond my brokenness, that there is something that transcends the injustices of this world, that transcends our failing institutions, including church, something that transcends our politics and our differences, something that transcends humanity's tendency, humanity's insistence on killing each other when they can't get their way. What if there is something beyond us that is good? And what if the only way that we can possibly live in goodness is to believe that goodness is bigger than us? What if that's what we mean when we use the word God? What if we don't mean some bearded, benevolent God in the sky? What if we don't mean some vindictive judge who's waiting for your life to be crushed for your sins? What if we don't mean somebody who is completely indifferent to your sufferings because his plan is bigger than you anyway? And that's not what Jesus is saying here, by the way. What if we just mean that goodness and righteousness and love are bigger than us? And that we can't possibly love unless we have faith in that. This, I think, is what it means for us to be Christians. It means to believe this enough to live as though it were true. It means that when Jesus taught these crazy things, there's something in us that comes alive and says, yeah, I... I don't know if that really is true, but I want it to be true enough that I'm willing to try it. That I'm willing to live into that reality. That's the reality I want to live into. That goodness and righteousness and peace and joy and love are available to us because it doesn't depend on us. Amen? Would you pray with me? God we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come to these words and to be stretched and challenged by them. We pray that you would make us into people who respond to Jesus's words. Who attend to Jesus's image of what it means to really live in love. Now, whatever our difficulties or struggles or doubts might be, that like Job and Solomon, we can acknowledge those difficulties and doubts and yet be so captivated by Jesus's vision that we ask and seek and knock, that we press into that possibility. We pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to do that. Make us into people who are more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.